I thought I would briefly talk about the, the Magi, the wise men. Often skeptics will try to push back against the historicity of this group of people because of their appearance only in the Gospel of Matthew. But many forget that there is an early church figure named Ignatius of Antioch. He was a disciple of John the Presbyter, who Irenaeus, a very early church figure, uh, describes as the Apostle John. And I would argue vehemently that Ignatius was a disciple of John. It's interesting that Ignatius, in one of his epistles, mentions the Star of Bethlehem as a historical event. On Book and Spade, the website associated with this YouTube channel, there is actually an article where I go through the fact that if Ignatius is the student of John, and if John is the caretaker of the Blessed Virgin Mary before she passes or is assumed into heaven, that the memory of the star that Ignatius gives in his epistles must be a direct eyewitness of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And um, I still believe in my heart that there is an unbroken line of tradition there. I'm aware that many in seminary would disagree, and there are many eminent scholars who would disagree. But the early church certainly believed that Matthew was a reliable historical eyewitness. Uh, and given the fact that Matthew never mentions the fact that Jesus's prediction that the temple would be destroyed was fulfilled, uh, and the fact that uh, he mentions the temple tax, uh, indicates to figures like Jimmy Aiken and to others that Matthew is composed before 70 AD. Uh, so well before any accretions could occur, this is an accurate historical account. So why am I saying this? The Magi, the Magoi, are often depicted as three people because of the three gifts. The text never gives a number. And what's unique is we read in Matthew's gospel and chapter two that all of Jerusalem is frightened by the arrival of these characters. Now, the Magoi, according to Herodotus, an early historian of the ancient world, apparently are kingmakers in the Parthian Persian Babylonian Empire, and as a result are known for having a lot of clout. These aren't merely stargazers alone. They hold a priestly function similar to the Levites in the Old Testament. Now, why is that important? It's because ultimately they probably traveled with a military escort. Uh, so you can imagine how these armed figures marching into Jerusalem may have frightened Herod, even if there was only about 30 of them or 100 of them. Uh, what we have here is an indication that they mean business. And this is indicated in the minds of some people uh, by the fact that they say to Herod, where is born he who is king of the Jews? Well, isn't Herod Jewish? The answer is no. Uh, king Herod, who was responsible for the massacre of the innocents, uh, actually was Edumaean from a, a people who were hostile to the people of Judah. Uh, and he was appointed king of Israel by the Romans, who were at the time ruling over uh, the people of Israel. So when this group of people, the Magoi, the Magi, show up, and we have them say to Herod, where is born he who is king of the Jews? Uh, we can see here a bit of a political jab in the minds of some. 
So this is a very HBO action-packed narrative, to put it mildly. Now, I don't want to dismiss the traditions of Balthazar, Melchior, and Caspar in that they appear in the writings of the mystics, Blessed Catherine and Emmerich, Maria of Agrida, uh, and others. And we could argue, however, just because three aren't specifically mentioned doesn't mean that there wasn't an inner core group of three. Think of the Semitic structure of Jesus's uh, disciples. You have the 72, you have the 12, and then you have an inner group of Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, James, and John, uh, going off on the, the Mount of Transfiguration, traditionally understood to be Tabor or Gethsemane. So if Jesus had an inner group of three, Peter, James, and John, within a group of 12, within a group of 72, with who knows who else marching in on the triumphal entry, uh, it's possible that the Magoi, the Magi, the wise men, could have traveled with a much larger ca- caravan with an inner circle of three to offer the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. An interesting idea for the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, what do they mean? Well, there are many traditions, but what do they mean in the ancient world? Uh, gold is a sign, of, obviously, of kingship, of rulership. Uh, gold is associated with the idea of one is reigning. Frankincense could refer to uh, a priestly figure. Uh, however, we hear in Matthew chapter 1 that the baby born in the manger is Emmanuel. This comes from Isaiah 7, that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Now, for those skeptics about the word virgin there, the Greek clearly says Parthenos. So, at least in the Bible that Matthew is reading in the Greek, it, it states virgin. Now, what's very clear, very clear, is that the baby is called Emmanuel in Isaiah 7. But Isaiah never translates the name for you. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, translates the name for you. God with us. God with us. So in the mind of Matthew, Jesus of Nazareth is God with us, is Yahweh. And even more miraculous, if we take that consistency clearly, therefore when the Magoi, the Magi, Worship in Greek, proskuneo, the infant, and offer incense in addition to proskuneoing, in addition to worshiping that infant. It's very clear that that incense in the text means that it is an offering to Jesus as God. Now, did they know that arriving there? Uh, skeptics will say, no, you know, the incense and Worship or offered to kings in the ancient world. Well, if they knew the Old Testament, particularly Micah chapter 5, which is quoted about this infant in the Old Testament, they would hear that out of Bethlehem, though it is the smallest of all the clans of Judah, would come a ruler or shepherd, will rule the people of Israel, whose origins are from of old from the word there is Olam in Hebrew, and that means everlasting or age-lasting. It can mean from eternity. I believe some translations will say from ancient time, but really it means from the time beyond time, the, the time where the Elohim resides. So it's this idea of the residence of God, God becoming born in Bethlehem.
So we have here prophecies, and I could give others like Isaiah 11, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Eternal God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, that indicate that the figure born in Bethlehem, according to the Hebrew Bible, no less, is Yahweh. Now, you can try to run away from that. You can say, oh, it's merely a representative of Yahweh, or the text really means this if we switch the grammar. But a straightforward reading of the Hebrew Bible makes it clear that the one born in Bethlehem is Yahweh. And it's possible if the Magi had an understanding of the Hebrew Scriptures, either because of the influence of Daniel in Babylon or whatever, they would have clearly understood from those texts that they are going to see deity enfleshed. What about the gift of myrrh? This is very, very interesting because myrrh is used as an embalming substance in the Near Eastern world. Yes, it's used for preservation. But if you think of myrrh in its historical, spiritual, symbolic context, many of the church fathers interpreted this to mean the sign of death, that this God King, that this Lord of Lords, now in flesh appearing, has come to die, that we may die no more. You know, Bethlehem, Bet, house, lechem, bread, means house of bread. And where is Jesus put? He's put in a feeding trough for animals. This indicates the, the beautiful reality that Jesus is the bread of life come down from heaven. I'll just conclude here, Eucharistically. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ, that whoever eats of this bread and drinks of his blood shall never die. Whoever eats this, flood, eats this flesh and drinks this blood will abide in me and I in him, and I will raise him up on the last day, Jesus says in John chapter 6. So the God of resurrection, the God of glory, the God of angel armies, as we hear of the angel armies appearing to the shepherds, that's what the word English word host means in Luke. That eternal God, has come into the messiness of the stable of our lives. Not through a cathedral, not through a gilded temple, into a messy stable. I've never encountered a clean stable. Into a messy stable. Into us. He can raise us up to life, into life more abundantly. I encourage all of us to reflect upon that mystery this Christmas.